This is a HeadGum Podcast. I'm recording a podcast right now, but you know what I'd rather be doing is I'd rather be listening to a podcast. Can you help me with that, please? Hey, Andrew, it's Craig. Yeah, I know. I have a podcast to tell you about. Okay. And it's not ours. Okay. They say that book publishing is a glamorous world filled with money, privilege, and three martini lunches. I've heard this from you, I think. Or is it? You're one of the people who says this. If you, Andrew, are like us and want to dive into the messy power struggle scams and unfathomably bad behavior within the book world, then I would recommend checking out Missing Pages. It's an all-new investigative podcast from the Podglomerate. It's hosted by literary critic and publishing insider Beth Ann Patrick, who spills the tea on some of the world's most famous and infamous book figures. Do they get on, mad to have the tea spilled all over them? Well, they have to go on, this their clothes? on this week's episode, Andrew, sometimes Beth Ann is personally involved in scandals as they happen. Uh, uh, is, in, is she like the cause is like causing them? Is she the, the scandaler? Well, we got to listen to find out in this episode. She spills the tea, more tea spilling on the story of Anna March a notorious figure who racked up big bills in the service of literature and left others to pay them. (gasps) Missing Pages is worth the hype. I mean, where else can you hear your favorite authors, publishing insiders, and a circus of NYC media elites telling the real story, unfit for print and perfect for podcasting? You asked me about podcasts, Andrew, and I delivered. Yeah, good job. Your delivery is here. Open the door. So go ahead, find Missing Pages wherever you find podcasts. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And welcome to my house of fruit. I've created it out of it's, fruit. I hate coming over to your house of fruit, and it's because I always get so sticky, <laughs> and it smells—it just like smells like fermenting, <laughs> like toilet wine in here all the time. Yeah, in a few months, my house will have an ABV of fifteen, but it will have mm. no walls because everything mm. will have disintegrated. Mm-hmm. You can drink and just it, bugs. but you. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of bugs. It's going to be here. more bug than fruit uh. pretty soon. You didn't think about this before you made a house out of fruit, and everybody kept trying to tell you, and you were like, I don't see, I do not see the problem with this. This sounds like a real fairy tale that has a moral and a lesson, which is don't build your house out of fruit. Yeah. Uh, might Maybe pick something else, like straw or sticks. This is our podcast mm-hmm. where one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. We're going to be talking about fairy tales today. Andrew, what book did you read? I read A House of Pomegranates by Oscar Wilde. Ah, the man himself. Oscar Wilde. So we've read, we've wilded out a couple of times before. Yes, episode, <laughs> I episode I read, 29. Did, did I read Dorian Gray? I think you've read both like of them. Like a decade them. ago? Okay, all right. It was, it was uh, episode 29, uh, Importance of Being Earnest. I think I don't. I didn't get these wrong. And then episode thirty-one was Dorian Gray. So we were just well, like, so we did. <laughs> we were like, let's just do them again. Andrew really wanted to talk about Oscar Wilde for. A oh, few I weeks. think we, maybe we were still doing um, the the 
the original prompt of the show, which is like books that we actually own that just we, that we're just been, around that we have literally been meaning to read <laughs> instead yes. of sort of the more expansive metaphorical meaning that it has come to take well, on over the years. Yeah, the you in the tagline has expanded <laughs> to to encompass more than just the two of us it's more like now at this point it's like eh, the books someone's been meaning to read yeah <laughs> i guess welcome in someone um this was a patreon recommendation house of pomegranates was um from i believe nina thank you nina uh who said hi guys been a fan of the podcast for a while i'd like to suggest house of pomegranates by oscar wilde or cersei by madeline miller which we read separately we did, on our own yeah. so um please keep podcasting for a long time it's part of my routine now mm-hmm and that's all Nina said. So Nina mm-hmm. offered no uh, further guidance on this selection. That's interesting because, like, it's it is a it's a bit of a strange selection, and I'm not I'm not saying that as a qualitative judgment. Yeah. We'll get to that in a little bit, but like, there's a whole uh, vqronline.org. The like one of the few things I could actually find about anybody talking about any of Oscar Wilde's fairy tales. Is this paper, uh, The Moral Prerogative in Oscar Wilde, A Look at the Fairy Tales from Autumn of 1977, where Mm. this guy, John Allen Quintus, Quintus, (laughs) uh, talks about the two books of fairy tales that Oscar Wilde did. So there's this one, House of Pomegranates, that came out in 1891, and then there's the first one, Happy Prince and Other Tales, 1888. So I'm just going to finish my run, then you can can talk. But like, it is, I think considered to be the lesser of the two books of fairy tales in this yeah. branch of wild work that nobody really talks about anyway. Well, so I would have loved to know more about like why this one, but I would too. I, I think the, the fact that it is under considered may be why someone would Maybe, recommend yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also found an article from 2001 in the Victorian literature and culture uh, journal um, by John Charles Duffy, uh, gay-related themes in the fairy tales of Oscar Wilde. And, and Duffy kind of talks about, and I found another academic article um, about these works as well. Mostly like this is, they were you know written in the late 80s, published in the early 90s. This one was probably written in the early 90s, published in, you know, um, 18, 1890s 1890s yeah sorry that's why it's not <laughs> like cowabunga dude a house yeah. of pomegranates <laughs> um but that like especially this collection i think is considered to have more themes or at least uh imagery and symbolism that you can uh you know maybe take some readings into what was happening in wild life about self and a lot of you know similar to what we typically think of when we read dorian gray and and things like that as he is mm-hmm. um experimenting um and meeting uh lovers that he would then uh, go to prison for being with which is not a cool thing at all no uh but so that's i think that that's where some of the academic articles that i found about this like pointed like we should go look at the just people being like we should look at these <laughs> so i think this you know this episode will be us looking at them um, I don't I don't remember how much 
wild bio stuff we did in those early eps. So I have like the, probably the real Reader's a, Digest version. Not a lot. So yeah, yeah, let's do. Give me the give me the quick one. Yeah. So born in 1854, passed away in 1900. Uh, Anglo-Irish father was a surgeon and book publisher, and his mother was a poet and folklorist. Uh, that sounds impressive for his dad but it's back in the days when you kind of just could declare yourself a surgeon and that was yeah those were the credentials well he he like had like legit surgeon credentials and then i guess also liked publishing books um he considered himself a surgeon of words yes um Mm -hmm. oscar fingal o'flaherty wills wild excuse me i like to say the full name when i can uh studied trinity college forget that but i think it's important (laughs) Studied at Trinity College uh, as well as Oxford, among other places. He was an aesthetic. Uh, he's part of the movement that pushed considering art for its own sake, um, just for the beauty of it, for the craft of it, and whatnot. And as opposed to like the message of it, or yeah. or the like the patronage of it, or or what? Yeah, like, or the political import of it, or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, okay. And he was publishing poems in the 1880s. He was lecturing in U.S. and Canada about aestheticism. Um, and he did get married to Constance Lloyd in 1884. He had two sons. I saw one or two pieces referencing, like, maybe he was telling versions of these stories to his kids. I don't know what evidence we do or do not have for that. Um, and he yeah, was if writing- were modern times, he would have given a bunch of interviews to some national media outlet about how that's where it came from exactly true um at this time he is writing reviews uh in you know literary mags he is publishing these fairy tales uh so these are both collections the one you mentioned earlier happy prince and other tales and this one um i don't believe that either were like written to be a like a chapbook that has little things in it they were like stories that were published and then collected to, to be published. Mm-hmm. Um, Wilde says of this collection that it's intent quote intended neither for the British child nor the British public. So. Oh sure. I also so I we're also American s- though, so it's okay. Yes, it's for us. Oh, that's for us. Yeah, and we're not chi- children, though we do retain a sense of childlike wonder about the world <laughs> around us. I like to think. By the time this work came out, um, I think he had already. Had his relationship with Robbie Ross. He had probably met Lord Alfred Douglas, a.k.a. Bosey, who is at the center of what would be the two trials uh, for gross indecency that he would face in 1895. Um, And then he would be sentenced to prison for two years at Reading Jail, uh, where he was, you know, punished with hard labor and he wrote a big old letter to Bosey talking about how a lot of it was his fault. But then he also wrote a big, st- big old treatise on like Christianity and suffering. And I think mostly the second part got published as De Profundis originally in 1905. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more of it is, is available now, I think. And then he was released, but it was really a hard time for him in there. Uh, he died of meningitis. Um, complication from an ear infection in 1900 in, in Paris. Uh, but we know him mostly for works like uh, The Importance of Being Earnest, the other comedies, An Ideal Husband, A Woman of No Importance, and Lady Windermere's Fan. 
I have never read Salome. It's biblical, I think, and I don't think people liked it. Mm-hmm. It seemed pretty intense and kind of scandalous. Mm-hmm. That's all I know about Salome. I know nothing about it. I, the first okay. thing I know that it's called Salome because you great. just said it to me. So I don't oh, great, know anything great. Thank else you. about it. Um, and then, of course, also Dorian Gray is 1890. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we think of him as this guy with like a lot of bone mo and clever witticisms mm-hmm. and things like that. And it is my understanding that like this and the other collection of fairy tales, that's not the Oscar Wilde you're getting. I mean, it's th- there are certainly little jabs and flashes of that in here. I don't. Okay. Wanna, I don't want to say there isn't because there is, and we can go over a couple as we as we go. Great. But yeah, mostly I I saw this was by Oscar Wilde. I don't know what I was thinking it would be, but <laughs> sort of a slightly humorous Grimm's fairy tale mold is not what I thought it was. It was gonna be and that's kind of what it was yeah. and is yeah i was reading just about and this will probably be the last thing before the break i was reading about the happy prince and other tales the previous collection um and there some of these stories andrew <laughs> the first one called the happy prince is about a bird who meets a statue of a prince and the statue uh-huh. has never experienced sadness uh-huh so he gives so the he tells the bird to give all the jewels in him away to the poor who are sad Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then the swallow dies in winter and the statue's heart breaks and gets sad and the people of the town don't know that any of this happened so they melt the statue down (laughs) there's a yeah and then they they go to heaven and it's sort of like the giving tree (laughs) There is no happily ever after element to to these. The last one, in fact, explicitly is is not that, which is yep. it's my probably my favorite paragraph in the entire book. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the selfish giant is about a giant whose garden is only spring when there's kids in it, and he learns that lesson. But one of the boys stops showing up, and he shows up at the end. He has stigmata, and it's probably Jesus. But the giant doesn't know that because he doesn't know about Jesus. What? Yeah. What's the moral of that one? I don't know. Um, one of them is about a bunch of animals telling each other stories about friendship. And th- this bird tells a story about two friends, but one of the friends kind of sucks. <laughs> and then the rat is like, cool story. I hated it. And that's mm-hmm. it's about like a guy who pretends to be a friend, but he's really just con- inconvenienced by this guy who likes him. Um, yeah. And then the last one called The Remarkable Rocket is about a firework who is pompous and uh, pretends to be sensitive so much that he cries and makes himself unable to light off at the at the royal wedding. Wow. Uh, And then a kid burns him in a campfire and nobody pays attention when he explodes. Mm hmm. Baby, you're a firework. Said Oscar Wilde. (laughs) I guess. So yeah, that should set the stage for what we're going to encounter here, I think. I did note that one of these stories is called Star Child, is that right? Yes. Something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, it was adapted into two Soviet films, one in the 50s and one in the 80s. Uh, yeah, I mean, when I think about sort of lighthearted yeah. Oscar Wildean <laughs> comedy, I'm like, you know who I would like to see adapt this is... The hey. deep, the deep Cold War 
Soviet era Russia in decline. <laughs> a lot of people living there with varied interests, I'm sure. Uh, I think there's also a claymation film from the 90s. I'm just talking about who is who was a literally allowed, allowed to make art yes, that made sure, it out to the public and that yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um okay, like the well, only let's... art I've seen well I mean and listen it's not like I'm a connoisseur. The only art I've seen from that era that's truly great is the ya 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 guy. You know that? Oh, yeah. You thought yeah, about yeah, that yeah, guy yeah, in a while? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so Welcome that Welcome to 10 I don't know years about, ago. I don't know this. I don't know about these Oscar Wilde adaptations, but if, it, okay. if that guy was involved, then sign me up. Yeah. If anybody knows if the Trollolo guy had ever done ah, an adaptation yes, guy, of yes. Oscar mm-hmm. Wilde. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to go Google that during our break, Andrew, and then you can tell me about House of Pomegranates. Sounds great. Andrew, I need a Whoa. website to chronicle fairy tales. The There's deterioration so many of, of them. your fruit house. <laughs> well, that's also, yes, that will be the first primary fairy tale that I will put on the web, but mm-hmm. I don't know the first thing about it. Mm-hmm. Can you Square- help? Squarespace can help. Oh. Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites, uh, but unlike a house made out of fruit these babies are rock solid Mm. it's a good website yeah uh they give you beautiful templates easy to use drag and drop tools e-commerce functionality and all kinds of other stuff all the things you need to make a successful and popular and handsome website love it let me tell you some stuff about squarespace that we like that you will like email campaigns you could grow and engage your audience with these Squarespace lets you create powerful email content that matches your website with your existing products, blog posts, and logos so your messaging is consistent and effective. You can collect donations uh, using PayPal, Apple Pay, Stripe, and Venmo. Uh, Support your cause by gathering donations. Uh, Analytics give you powerful insights into who's visiting your site and how they're interacting with your content. Uh, These tools include page views, traffic sources, time on site, most read content, audience geography, and more. And you own all the content you put on the Squarespace platform. They offer one-click data portability. So if you ever do need to move like you are going to have to when your fruit house dissolves in the rain, Uh (laughs) you could do that. Uh, So, yeah, if this sounds good to you, you need to go to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash overdue. Save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Now, Andrew, a word word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Mm -hmm. It can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode when faced with a challenge in life. Yeah, sure. And then men would literally rather build a house out of fruit than go to therapy. Yeah. And when, but when you learn to find your own solutions, there's no better feeling, and a therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no, ba- no matter how big or small. And I will leave you to decide how or big or small a fruit house will big be. Big or small or sticky. Better yes. help can get you out of a. Can they get you out of a jam? Because that's what your house is going to be. Is you know, turn into jam. I think I think therapy can get you out of a lot of jams. Mm-hmm. It can help you. It can help prevent you from getting into jams by kind of mm-hmm. talking through stuff ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that folks should probably try it out, lest they find themselves 
in a metaphorical or literal dissolving fruit house. <laughs> um, if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. Uh, it's convenient, it's accessible, it's affordable, and it's entirely online. You get matched with therapists after filling out a brief survey, and you can switch therapists at any time. You can also like chat with them just through the chat, like live chat. You don't have to actually be on video if that's something that would stress you out. So uh, I think you should give it a try if you are inclined when you want to be a better problem solver therapy can get you there visit betterhelp.com slash overdue today to get 10 percent off your first month let me clarify that's better com slash overdue and get 10 percent off your first month of better help craig i've got not one, not two, not three, but four different fairy tales to tell you about. Whoa! Yeah, four in one. Yeah, it's a it's a real uh, Mario All Stars situation <laughs> over here. What a system seller! Yeah. Okay, tell me about the four stories mm-hmm. in this collection, House of okay. Pomegranates. Well, first off, go off, Young King. This first one is called the Young King. Oh my god! <laughs> it's story it's a story of a boy who was born of the king's daughter and someone who she married who was below her station the king had both of them killed and the boy sent off to you know live with nobodies but then had a deathbed repentance and was like oh actually this is my heir bring him on in so he is a he's a he's a newly minted king he's a young king he needs to be presented to the people. Dave, <laughs> it's like a young pope. I was going to say, is he played by Jude Law? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> uh, and so he is. He's having this like he, he. This guy. This guy loves beautiful stuff. He loves it. Okay. And maybe like, this is Oscar Wilde. The and I don't know enough about Oscar Wilde, but he just likes looking at nice, pretty stuff. So he's got like this pretty robe coming and a pretty crown and a preceptor, and these are the things he's going to wear. At his like coronation, whatever, and he's gonna be the young king. He's gonna look sick, and it's gonna be awesome. Okay. So that, but then he goes to sleep, and he has a dream, and he dreams about all these people who are. He basically dreams about like, what if you fell asleep and you dreamed about how your old navy shirt got made? Okay. And now then you I, woke up and it changed everything about your perspective because you like saw with your eyes all the horrible things that are done, like the horrible exploitative things that capitalism does to everybody uh, in service of the people at the top of the system. Yes. And so yeah. he mm-hmm. is seeing where all of his fancy threads and his duds came from. Yeah. Yeah, like his okay. uh, his his scepter, I think, is going to have like a cool jewel or pearl or something in it. Yeah. And he sees a bunch of guys in a boat just like diving off the side of this boat trying to get the best jewels. Oh, wow. And one of them like dies from oh going underwater for too long. Like blood and diamond every- kind of stuff. Yeah, and everybody just like throws him off the boat and it's it's casual and horrible. and. Oh, wow. So yeah, he doesn't like to see the way that his stuff is getting made. So all these beautiful, he wakes up the next day and all this beautiful stuff has arrived. He's like, I don't want it. I'm going to wear my peasant clothes. And then he goes to the church or wherever. And there's a, there's a, 
priest or a bishop or something in there. And the guy's like, you got to go put on your nice stuff. You're the king. You got to look good or people aren't going to accept you as the king. king. And then all the people come into the building and he is like wreathed in light and he, you know, the, the sunlight and whatever makes him look so fly that everybody's like, whoa, it is the king. And the bishop's like, oh, God made you the king now. And that's the end of the story. <laughs> okay. So that does have like a happy ending. Yeah, kind of. I mean, maybe he's still a crappy king after that, but that one is is pretty straightforward in its in its moralizing. It's just like, what if what if people who at the top of the system gave a dang about anybody underneath them? Now, and then but it made God happy. Does the does <laughs> even though the, God still supports like the monarchy and what I was gonna say, like, yeah. Does the because we don't see him like give people money or anything, right? It's just about kid? yeah, no, no, yeah. It's just about the optics. To be perfectly honest, mm-hmm. it is about how he chooses to appear mm-hmm. and how that lands with the people but i guess Mm -hmm. god showed up and was like i see what you're doing let me help yeah okay okay yeah yeah so that's the young king okay the end (laughs) yeah about like about how long is it literally because you're you're being funny and kind of like telling me the story in your andrew way so like how long does while and i don't mean that (laughs) in a bad way it's like you're we're having fun here but like the first first second and fourth stories aren't super long the third one is a little longer in a sort of 1001 nights kind of kind of way a little bit okay there's just like a lot of it's yeah it's it's not like as as uh involved in its own like convolutedness as 1001 nights could get, but they're <laughs> sure. definitely like stories within stories. And there are some like repetition of things like this, you know, a, a, a character can go and do a thing like a similar thing three times to make a point. Yes. You know what, yes. I, you know what I'm talking yes. about? No, I know but exactly the, what you mean. Yeah. This one and, and the next one and the last one are all pretty short. And then that third one is okay. Kind of the, the anchor of the book a little bit. All right. Let's talk about this Infanta. It's a princess of Spain, I guess, is what the Infanta is. And what is the story called? The Infanta? The birthday of the Infanta. The Infanta's birthday time. Yeah, princess of Spain. I've heard about this. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, So this Infanta's have... So she's got a dad, the king, and the king's wife died shortly after childbirth. And this isn't really important to the story at all, except insofar as the king, like, dotes on his daughter... Even though he's a sad king, this is not a young, this is not a young hot king like we had in the last story. This is a sad sack. <laughs> is he? And he's not sort a of guy. comic. He's not a comic sad sack like the dad from Aladdin. No, he's, he's just, just sad because sad he's just sad because his wife died and he had her like embalmed and still goes to look at her embalmed body even though it's been like twelve years. Well, he's the king. He can do that, I guess. He can do that. So it's her birthday and the. the, the entertainers are pulling out all the stops. They got like a fake bullfight and puppeteers. And most of the story is just kind of describing these different entertainments at the birthday party of the Infanta. Do we like her or does she stink? We kind of like her in this first early part because 
she is sort of mingling with the younger children and, or like the, the other, you know, not younger, but younger in like a societal sense. Cause they're underneath her in the yeah. class structure. Just like, sure. People who are younger are underneath other people in like the age structure. Uh huh. Does this, I, man, this is good. This is good podcasting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we kind of like her cause she seems like maybe she could be a, a princess of the people. Mm. So the last, like the the last entertainment at this birthday party is this little ugly hideous dwarf. Okay, comes out and he does a little jig. Okay, and the, the infanta just loses her mind. Like this is the funniest jig she's ever seen. She's laughing and laughing. She gives this dwarf a white flower and demands that he come and and do more sick dances for her up at the castle. Okay, and so the dwarf comes up to the the castle and he can't find anybody like he doesn't he doesn't run anybody so he's just like wandering around the castle and he, he comes upon uh this this he comes upon an, a weird ugly being in a, in a room uh, it was a monster, the most grotesque monster he had ever beheld, not properly shaped as all other people were, but hunchbacked and crooked limbed and with huge lolling head and mane of black hair. The little dwarf frowned and the monster frowned also. He laughed and it laughed with him and held its hand to its sides just as he himself was doing. He made it a mocking bow and it returned him a low reverence. He went towards it and it came to meet him, copying each step that he made and stopping when he stopped himself. He shouted with amusement and ran forward and reached out his hand and the hand of the monster touched his and it was as cold as ice. Craig, what is happening? It's a mirror. It's a mirror. Yeah. Uh, When the truth dawned upon him, he gave a wild cry of despair and fell sobbing to the ground. So it was he who was misshapen and hunchbacked, foul to look at and grotesque. He himself was the monster and it was him that all the children had been laughing at him, all the children have been laughing, and the little princess who he had thought loved him, she too had been merely mocking at his ugliness and making merry over his twisted limbs. Why had they not left him in the forest where there was no mirror to tell him how loathsome he was? Why had his father not killed him rather than sell him to his shame? Uh, the hot tears poured down his cheeks. He tore the white rose to pieces. The sprawling monster did the same and scattered the faint petals in the air. It groveled on the ground, and when he looked at it, it watched him with a face drawn with pain. He crept away lest he should see it and covered his eyes with his hands. He crawled like some wounded thing into the shadow and lay there moaning. So the dwarf is so sad to learn that he's ugly and that the kids were laughing at like at, at him, him in a bad way and not at him in the desired way. Like, ha I'm a clown to you way. Yeah. Dies. He's just laying on the floor and he dies. And that's the end and, of the story? Well, no. And then the Infanta, some, I don't, there's there a lot of like bishop and priest people who are just like flitting around in these fairy tales to be okay. like mid-tier authority figures. Someone tells her, oh, the dwarf is dead. And he seems like, it seems like he died of a broken heart. And then the Infanta is like, well, everyone I hang out with after this just shouldn't have a heart then because this is stupid that the dwarf died. And so that right there at the end, you really think the Infanta sucks because she doesn't, she doesn't have a sympathy for this dwarf. Yeah. She's just like, Oh wow. This guy came in here and he died and he killed the vibe at my birthday. And this sucks. This guy was a bummer. Mm Hmm. What can you do to prevent me from experiencing bummers? Yeah, I would like princess. to not be. I'm the princess, and I would like not to be bummed out anymore. Yeah. This. So this this story seems to be about uh, 
society is bad. <laughs> like, like this one's about not, society. If one, like, if not, Oscar Wilde gets up to Oscar Wilde gets up to the mic as an open mic night. He's like, I've got this. This story is about society. I think it is though, because it's like if he was just. I mean, I don't know that he's necessarily right. I would like him to to live in a nicer world, but in the world that he is given, if he was just like out in the woods, he would never have encountered these people that were mean and hit, mean to him and encouraged him uh, in a way that was disingenuous, and he would not have been confronted with this version of himself that uh, people had judged. Mm-hmm. In a way that hurt him. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, okay. I th- I also think like the I don't know if there are any other stories that do this, but like with Dorian Gray and the like the confluence of identity and earnest and stuff. Like I know that like mirrors and reflections and like self imagery is really important in Wild. So that like that pops in this one more than any. Anything in the Young King? Pop. Sure. I mean, Young King. I get like the 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 Young King thing that you said was like maybe it's the like it's the extravagance of art, but it's also the class thing. I don't know. Okay, tell mm-hmm. me about the third one. The fisherman and his soul. Whoa! This is a real "Are You Afraid of the Dark" episode <laughs> title. The Midnight Society is here, Oscar. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the fisherman and his soul. Okay. So the fisherman and his soul. He's a young fisherman. Even though this story takes like 10 years to play out, and they keep talking about how he's a young fisherman, so then how young could he possibly have been? I don't know. He's no young king. But there's this young fisherman, right? And he's out fishing. And sometimes he'd do okay at fishing, and sometimes he'd do not so good. But one day when he's out fishing, he catch a mermaid in his net. And Whoa. he is How big like, is his net? It's a big net, and he thinks is like, oh, it's really heavy. There must be some good fish in here, and he pulls it up. And it's a mermaid. Uh oh! And he like physically restrains her until she swears that every day she will sing a song and make all the fish swim into his net. And he's like, well, sick. This is all. Everything's coming up, fisherman. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's out. Th- he's out there doing it, and every day she gets up and sings a song. But eventually he starts ignoring his nets because this mermaid, this mermaid's hot. He loves this mermaid now. And oh. he really wants to get with her. But, and and she, I think it's her, her who tells him, someone tells him that you can't go down and join the mer people because you have a soul and they don't have souls. And if you want to, go, and then he decides, well, I don't need my, I don't need my soul. Oh, Wow. Oh, that's some, that's some Little Mermaid stuff. Like that's like uh, Reverse Little Mermaid. I guess it is. It is because a Reverse she, Little Mermaid. It is. It's a Reverse Little Mermaid. <laughs> because that's the yeah, thing he keeps saying about his soul. Let me find. Yeah, because like here. she has to give up her legs or to her. Fi- she has to give up her voice so mm-hmm. she can get legs, mm-hmm. and then bad things happen. And he's mm-hmm. willing to give up his soul so that he could be with fish. And I yeah, guess bad it's, things so are it's a reverse happen. Little Mermaid. He tossed his brown curls and laughed. My soul is not to me, he answered. I cannot see it. I may not touch it. I do not know it. So I he's mean, basically like, I don't know her. I don't know my soul. <laughs> I don't need it. What do I need this for? Yeah. And so he go. Well, he goes to like a pre- some other priest, like gee whiz priests, 
Uh, he goes I'm some other priest. A theme here, Andrew, for a guy who had some some thoughts on Christianity. Just the fact that all these background figures are priests. I think it was just in. what who the. It's just. But yeah, it's like but how that's, in, he can still have opinions about them. It's like in 2016, you go to if you wanted to find put your finger on the pulse of society, you go to a diner in Central Pennsylvania and talk to people. Yeah. In Oscar Wilde times, you would go to church and see what the the priest huh? was on about because uh-huh. there's just a lot there's just a lot of priests yeah uh so they go he goes to a priest and the priest's like i'm not gonna do this i'm not gonna take your soul away from you like you need it don't yeah. worry. like it's it's worth it's it's beyond worth like you don't know what you're asking for go away mm-hmm. get out of here mm-hmm. then he goes to the merchants and he's like hey does anybody want to want a gently used soul whoa can i can i interest can i ebay my soul to any of you oh wow and they're like no that's not it's not worth anything what, what am i gonna do with a soul and the and so he's it's like well the priest says it's worth uh, how strange a thing this is. The priest telleth me that the soul is worth all the gold in the world. And the merchants say that it is not worth a clipped piece of silver. Uh, and he passed out of the marketplace and went down to the shore of the sea and began to ponder on what he should do. And at noon, he remembered how one of his companions who was a gatherer of samphire, had told him of a certain young witch who dealt, dwelt in a cave at the head of the bay and was very cunning in her witcheries. Yeah. So he's doing all this thing with his soul and he goes to the priest and he goes to the merchants and then he's like, oh, yeah, I know a witch. I should go see what her deal is. I should yeah. talk to her about this soul business. Uh, so he goes with her and she says, come meet me at this at this place at this time under like the full moon or whatever. She always and, has always with the stipulations, these witches. And he like basically kind of meets Satan, I guess. Yes, I think. but definitely. There's some like hoodwinkery that that goes on. It's a very long scene with like a bunch of dancing and and back and forth. Okay. Uh, but at the end of the thing, the witch is the witch under duress is like, okay, here's this, here's a knife. Go somewhere where you can see your shadow. That's your soul. Yeah. Your, your shadow is, is your soul. Okay. And cu- take the knife and you cut around your feet where your shadow is. Yeah. <laughs> and that will separate your soul from your body. Whoa. And you can go live with the mermaids and go, yeah, go do that. Uh, so he does that and his soul separates from him. And his soul's like, listen, man, why? I don't understand why you're doing this. But once a year, let's meet back here and just check in and make sure that, that you're still okay with the way that things are things are going. This rules. This story I, I mean the knife is also from a little mermaid. This is cool. I'm into this. Yeah, this one goes pretty hard and so now you it's it's here's where you get into a little bit of a uh, 1001 I was stuff, wondering is, when this was going to hit. Yeah, tell is me. we are and now once a once a year for like 3 years the fisherman and his soul meet up here and the soul has a story to tell about the things that the soul has done and seen. Ooh. And so there's this there's this whole story where the soul goes to the the east where all wisdom comes from. Okay. And he travels with these people and he gets like bit by a snake, but it doesn't hurt him because he's a soul and it makes people kind of scared of him. And he's just a very intimidating sort of fella. And so he goes to this this temple thing where they worship this god. And the soul's like, show me the God. And then they sh- eventually they show him the God. And it's like a mirror. 
And if you have this mirror, you're the, you got wisdom. Okay. And so the soul says to the fisherman, Hey, you got, you think you, you, you said you have love. That's fine. I mean, I guess that's fine, but I have wisdom. So why don't you get back with me and you can be as wise as you want. And love is stupid. And the fisherman says, no, love is great. I'm going to go back and party with the mermaids some more. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> he goes back for another year and then he comes back out and the soul is like, get this. I went to the South and I did a whole, I got up to a whole bunch more stuff. And then I met this king who was super rich and I scared him and he said he was going to give me half of all his riches to make me go away. And so we went into all his vaults and then I said to him, hey, give me that like plain stupid looking ring that you have on because I, the soul divined that that's like a super magic rich ring and that's why the guy, he's rich in the first place. So come with me, you get this ring, you be as rich as you want. Love is stupid. (laughs) Come, uh. come with me, and I got, I got some money. And the fisherman's like, "No, I, this is, I know, love is still awesome, and I'm gonna go back down and party with the mermaids for another year." So he goes he's back to the mermaids. He goes, okay. and then another, another year passes. Year three, he comes out of the water. His soul's there, and his soul's like, "I saw this girl with awesome feet." And the fisherman is <laughs> like, and the soul is like, I saw the, I saw this girl with awesome feet and she did such a cool dance and the fisher and, the, and it's not even a very long story. It's not like, Oh, I went, I went for a million miles and I met all these people and I had all these things. It's just like, I went to this bar and there's this girl there and she has sick feet and she does a good dance. And the fisherman is like, well, you know what mermaids don't have is feet. I haven't seen feet in a minute. I would love to go see these feet and I can just come back. You know, I'll just go, I'll see the feet. I'll come back. And, you know, I'll, I'll separate from my soul again and I'll go back down to party with my mermaid girlfriend some more. And, <laughs> and so he joins with his soul again, but his soul has been unmoored from a human body and was given no heart. And so he d- was out doing all this evil stuff. And then he starts making the fisherman do all this evil stuff. Oh, no. Like bang a guy over the head and like steal things and. And the fisherman's like, why are you making me do this? And the soul's like, well, you orphaned me. And I I became evil because I didn't have a heart. And the fisherman, he he never sees the cool feet. I don't know. I think maybe the cool feet, the soul made up the cool feet to (laughs) to trick the fisherman. And so the fisherman goes back. He like through sheer force of will goes back and he takes the knife and he tries to cut his shadow out from under him again because he doesn't want to do the like, evil stuff the soul's like psych you can't you can't do that it only works once baby you're back with me now it's oh, you and no. me forever and the fisherman says i am gonna sit here and ignore you and every day i'm gonna call out for my mermaid love and hope that she comes back to me and i can explain everything uh and then the mer- years pass the mermaid washes up dead on the beach she's dead does a doornail and the fisherman goes down and he holds her and he's very sad and his heart breaks and the waves come and they take him. And then the pre remember that priest who was like, I can't buy your soul. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> that priest comes down and finds them both drowned in each other's arms. And it's like, well, mermaids are cursed. This guy was obviously in love with this mermaid. He also was cursed. I'm going to bury them in a grave in a bad part of the of the cemetery where nothing grows and you know, that that'll be the end of it. And then more years pass. And then he goes 
and he sees some like weird, like good smelling flowers growing on this grave where he, he buried the young fisherman and his mermaid love. And he's going to go give a sermon about, you know, vengeful old Testament God. And instead, because somebody's picked some flowers from somewhere and they smell really good. He decides to give this sermon about God's infinite love instead. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's because of the, how powerful the love was and yes. it transferred into the flowers and no flowers ever grew on that grave again, but Whoa. their love was so powerful that it did make this one sermon about be about love instead of about wrath. Whoa. And so that's the story of the fisherman. And his soul. <laughs> that's cool, man. So that's, that's a fun one. It's the best one of the four, I think. That, you know, it's got everything. It's got the duality of man, like a real Jekyll and Hyde situation. It's got forbidden love mm-hmm. and how forbidden love is actually better than anything else mm-hmm. that you might consider sinful. It's got shadow stuff, you know, like all kinds of cool like, you shadow know, like stuff. Zelda 2 when we fight Shadow Link. Like all the best fiction has stuff where your shadow comes to life and well yeah like you have to fight the the dark version of yourself yeah so you can become a paladin that's mm-hmm. how it works yeah um all right i'm sorry it's kind of sad to hear that the the mermaid wasn't in a lot of it no you never you don't spend any time under sea partying with the mermaids you just know that there are mermaids and, and they're mermen. under the sea under Merman. the sea yeah they're under the sea they're down where it's Better, better and wetter, wetter. also yes yeah. mm-hmm. take it from yeah well oscar <laughs> wilde um so okay that that sounds like a, a pretty like a meaty tale that's because after the first two which are pretty straightforward and just a couple of you know really sim a couple of scenes a piece really or a couple of like major characters and then you get to the Fisherman in the soul, and you're like, wow, this guy's soul is like trying to make yeah. him kill people because he's he became evil because you cut him out from your body with a knife. Like this is okay. That's I'm the one that feels this. like, oh, the Dorian Gray guy is here. <laughs> like that's yeah. Oscar oh. Wilde showed up. Okay, um, yeah. and but then it closes out with Star Child, which, as we mentioned earlier, has been made into multiple Soviet films. <laughs> And I'm sure you know exactly why, based on your reading. Uh, tell me what happens. Uh, so, okay, Star Child. You're out in the woods with the with the poor woodsman, and he's with his friend, who's another poor woodsman, and they are in the woods as woodsmen do, and they come upon upon a child who's like wrapped in a in a pretty cloak with like a you know some kind of amulet or some jewelry around its neck, and there's you know there's nobody around. It's just this this child who's come from who knows where and one of the woodsmen is like i'm not i got mouths of feet at home i'm not bringing this whole other kid home to do anything with it the other woodsman is like i'm i'm gonna be nice to this kid and he takes it home and his wife is like we have other mouths of feed why did you bring me this kid and then she comes around and is like okay give me the kid we're gonna take care of it and raise it as our own fine so the kid is very it's a beautiful the beautiful young man the kid grows up to become okay but arrogant because he's so beautiful and he looks around him on all the peasants and the people who raised him he's like "Ugh, these uggos i hate them i don't like it i'm better than them i'm not gonna treat anybody good i'm gonna be a little dirt bag and i'm gonna torture animals i'm just gonna be an awful awful person and then an old beggar lady comes to town 
and a beggar lady yeah like a beggar okay. lady i thought wow really thought you said a bear lady no a beggar lady okay and then i can understand why you would think that i would say bear lady and you're gonna get a little bit of animal stuff here in a minute great but okay a beggar, a beggar lady comes to town and she's like oh you wait you found a baby wrapped in a pretty cloak with like a am some jewels around its neck and the mm. woodsman's like yeah i did and she's that, like that's my that's my son that's my that's boy that's my boy <laughs> And the star child comes, you know, the woodsman is like, hey, you, <laughs> you little, you little jerk, come and meet your mom. Mm. And the star child comes to meet his mom as mom's an ugly old crone beggar lady. Yeah. And she says, oh, my boy, I lost you. I love you. I've been looking for you for years and years. And the star child's like, you're you ugly. Get out of here. I don't oh my like God. it. All right. The, the beggar lady says, alas, my son, she cried, wilt thou not kiss me before I go? For I have suffered much to find thee. Nay, said the star child, but thou art too foul to look at. And rather would I kiss the adder or the toad than thee. And so beggar lady leaves because her son's a little piece of crap. Yeah. But then all the kids are laughing at him. Uh, they, for some reason, and one of them, <laughs> and they say, why thou art foul as the toad and as loathsome as the adder, get thee hence for we will not suffer thee to play with us. And they mm. drave him out of the garden. Drave Whoa. is a good, I like drave. They drave a, him like, out. Conjugation of drove. Ooh. Uh, and Star Child's like, what is going on? I'm hot and this is stupid. And he goes and he looks at his reflection in like a pond or something. And he looks like he's got... His face was as the face of a toad, and his body was sealed like an adder. Sealed? Yeah, I don't know what that means, but he's got like, like snake got body, scales. And, like okay. snake body and toad face. I was a and man. So he's, so, he's so like the GI Joe movie. So he's driven out of his his community, and he has he's uh, he's ugly, and he gets I don't know somebody tries to sell him into slavery and then he whoa but then he does a he does a couple of nice things like he you know he goes around and everybody's everybody laughs at him as mean to him and he asks some animals for help and they're like well you kind of like tortured us and did horrible stuff to us so i'm not going to help you uh later he helps a hare escape from a trap and then his like boss an evil magician is like go into the woods and find some gold for me and if you do it i'll let you free and so he goes and the hare is like hey you help me so here's where the gold is i know where the gold oh, is." oh okay and, but then he's going back to town and then a beggar man mm. this, now this is different from the, from the beggar lady from before this is yeah. a separate beggar the beggar man says i'm so poor if you don't give me some money i'm gonna literally die and the star child says, oh, well, I, I feel I, this is, I need this money so I can be free, but you seem like you also need it. So I'm going to give it to you. This happens three times with like different colors of gold, including red gold, which I don't know what that is. Is that just pennies? I don't, I don't know what iPhone color that red is, gold. but I don't think I've seen it. Is that uh, a Pokemon game? <laughs> it's two, two different Pokemon games. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then, so he does that three times. Cause you got, I mean, you can't just do something. You can't do something once in a, in fairy, a fairy tale. tale? You, have no, it, not you allowed. usually have to do it three times. Yeah. And then the magician's like, Hey, look, you're pretty again. And Whoa. the beggar lady, your mom, your mom is there. And the, and the beggar guy was your dad. Well, for he, before he tells him, he tells him that. And then the star child goes over and he like cries on his mom's feet. And he, is nice to his dad. And he's like, please forgive me. I'm, I was so horrible. 
And then they say, okay, we forgive you. And also we're the king and queen and you're a prince. Wait, what? And welcome to, <laughs> welcome to your kingdom. Why were they doing the Odysseus thing? Why were this they? It's not important. Were they? Was it a spell? No, it's not anything. It's just like they were just, I don't know. They were just beggars. But they're the, okay. <laughs> but they're the king and queen. Okay. Uh, and the king said, the this is thy mother whose feet thou hast washed with thy tears. And they fell on his neck and kissed him and brought him into the palace and clothed him in fair raiment and set the crown upon his head and a scepter in his hand. And over the city that stood by the river, he ruled and was its Lord. Much justice and mercy did he show to all. And the evil magician he banished into the woodcutter and his wife. He sent many rich gifts and to their children. He gave high honor, nor would he suffer any to be cruel to bird or beast, but taught love and loving kindness and charity. And to the poor, he gave bread and to the naked, he gave raiment and there was peace and plenty in the land. So happy ending, right? I guess. I mean, if the, if the story ended there. That would be oh, a happy ending. Dang, how many more, more. How many more? How many? How many sentences do you think Oscar Wilde needs to bring this whole happy ending thing tumbling to the ground? Well, knowing Oscar Wilde at the height of his powers could do it in one sentence, but I bet it's going to be a few. It's it's two, but it could have been one with a okay. comma instead of a period. Yet ruled he not long, so great had been his suffering, and so bitter the fire of his testing. For after the space of three years, he died. So that sounds bad, right? That does sound bad. It's pretty bad, but there's one more sentence, Craig. And he who came after him ruled evilly. <laughs> it's like not only is there not a happy ending, but I'm going to foreclose all possibility of happiness for any of these characters at any point in the future. <laughs> Just for no reason, right at the end of my book. Goodbye. This has been Oscar Wilde. <laughs> Have fun. That's a real, like, bleep happens, like, ending. Like, well, you know, the world moves on. That one I actually laughed out loud at because (laughs) it was so, it was just so egregiously, you know, wow. That's the way you just, there's no reason to end the story that way unless you just want to, to, uh, I don't know, subvert expectations or mess with people's heads you just do it for because you are having fun that's the reason to end a story like that i guess yeah and about how you know the world is a bad place no matter what you do maybe i get you're trying to make it bigger than it is i feel like it's just oscar wilde being like hey Look what I can do. I write the story. Well, I, I do whatever I want. I think that's what he always does, though, is he's always witty about stuff that is like, it resonates because it's real, even he, even though he's doing some like, you know, cooking a souffle, baking a souffle. I guess. That's why, I mean, I think that's why people like Ernest, because it's so funny, but it's also about relationships. Yeah, Miak. That's funny. Oh, my God. So these stories weren't for kids, huh? Mm-hmm. No. I mean, I guess they could be. Kids' stories, I don't know that they necessarily picked up like their cotton candy sort of rhymey, sing-songy thing until some decades after mm. this. But I think the point of some of these fairy tales was, you know, life's hard and sometimes like a witch eats you and you just have to deal with it. <laughs> 
And th- these are in that vein more okay. than anything. Sure. Anything anything else other than that like closing beat that really struck you as a like oh this is fun or clever Oscar Wilde or other beats that like jive with that There're just energy? some little there're just some little fun like that that line is one there was one earlier on like in the I think the first paragraph of the young king uh, where it's uh, this is I'll just read the first paragraph. It was the night before the day fixed for his coronation, and the young king was sitting alone in his beautiful chamber. His courtiers had take had all taken their leave of him, bowing their heads to the ground according to the ceremonious usages of the day, and retired to the great hall of the palace to receive a few last lessons from the professor of etiquette. There being some of them who had still quite natural manners, which in a courtier is, I need hardly say, a very grave offense. Mm-hmm. Take that, mm-hmm. courtiers. Get I guess courtiers. the system that makes courtiers behave the way that they have to. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. People who perpetuate that system, get it. Mm-hmm. You yeah, tell them, it. Oscar. Mm, go off, young king. Oh, my God. So it sounds like you had fun with these. I had fun. They're, like, light and silly, and I definitely understand why we talk about Oscar Wilde's other works more than these, but I did not enjoy them. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's yeah. definitely it's one. It is definitely even a little bit more fun to tell somebody else about what the stories are than it is to yeah. actually read them. <laughs> because yeah. it, when, when you as you condense them down to their essence, the sort of absurdity and you know, it's just you you see the skeleton of them in a way that heightens whatever it is that Wilde is doing with them in the first place. Sure, sure. Um, that also seems to explain why people who have written about them are largely like doing it to connect it with his other stuff mm-hmm. or to connect it with his autobiography. Like they seem real, especially interesting in the relaying of them or in the connecting of them to something else. Let alone, not, yeah, not, so I, don't, I don't know enough know. about wild to, you know, usually, and I think we've talked about this before, but usually I don't do any advanced research when I'm, when I'm reading a book just cause I want to experience it, how I experience it. And then I'll go and I'll do a bunch of reading about the context and other stuff later often. Um, so I didn't, I didn't really know a lot about wild going in except for like the very, very, very big picture stuff. So I was not reading this being like, Oh, that that's allegory for, for his like time in prison or, or something like, it's just not the way I experienced the work. I was just kind of experiencing it as it was, like yeah, literally as it was given, and I enjoyed it on that level too. Sure, yeah, yeah. I think the the iconography and the the symbolism is there to be read, and I'm sure he is like happy. He would have been fine with a deep reading or a a more trifling reading mm-hmm. himself, mm-hmm. probably. Yeah, probably. Or and then if we told you can him say that we, anything when you put probably after well and and if if he like heard us talking about it he'd say something he'd get our goats you know what I mean yeah yeah he'd be like, like he'd, zounds. zounds I don't think he ever said zounds what is it what what is the small magical brick that that talk that speaks as with a man's voice oh are you doing what if Oscar Wilde saw an iPhone <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 
did you feel like uh, and this will be my last question because <laughs> okay. I did look up some three star Goodreads reviews. Three star these. Goodreads reviews. Um and a couple people like found them, you know, interesting to read something completely different by Oscar Wilde, found that the writing was like beautiful, like kind of, you know, it's the same guy writing them, right? Um but some of them thought it was a little too moralistic or didactic. You did not. I, I saw get those. That. And, like, dude, have you read a fairy tale before? Like, it's just like get on board with the genre's conventions before you write your review on Goodreads in the voice of your cat or whatever. <laughs> because. And I apologize to all the Goodreads reviewers. But, you know. You just so many Goodreads reviewers just decide, oh, I have this is my shtick. This is my thing. And then you then you have to wade through that to get to whatever their opinion is. But anyway, you did not but my actual question is you did not find them to be overly moralizing. No, because it's what the it's what the genre is. That's what I mean, I, I was answering your question and then I had moved on to slamming uh, Goodreads reviewers with with uh, you know, bits. <laughs> okay. Mainly mainly I mean that having some kind of a moral, especially if you're, I mean, if you're talking about a lot of fairy tales, but especially like the, the Grimm's set and the older stuff, like having morals and simple lessons is going to be part of it. And these breeze by so fast that I don't know. I just, I just kind of acknowledged them and moved on to the next. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. That's the answer I was, I was hunting for. Mm-hmm. Not that not that it's not being moralizing. It's just you did not find that to be the negative. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't. Dis- I don't disagree. But that if, if that's your main criticism of the work, then I invite you to figure out what the work is like. What it literally is. Sure, 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 sure. It's like okay. if you wrote a three star Goodreads reviews about Lord of the Rings, being like, "Man, I wish this book didn't have so much jewelry in it." Ugh. Mm. Okay. Yeah, it's like it's just like that. It's just like that. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. Like, like nothing else. It's like if you read a book called *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*, and you wrote a three-star Goodreads review, like there are three things in the title of this book, and I, I am mad that there are this many witches. Mm. Mm-hmm. Why does this girl have a tattoo of a dragon and not a tattoo of a snake? Of something else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for telling me about these stories, Andrew. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm glad that you had some fun. You had some fun. I'm a little punchy from a full day of child rearing, and I think that's the right mentality to bring to a podcast about Oscar Wilde fairy tales. Yeah, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Uh, if folks have other uh, interesting fairy tales they want us to know about or other works of Oscar Wilde that they love, they can tell us about them in our email inbox. Send an email to OverduePod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at OverduePod. Thanks to Jen, Blake, Robert, Casa, Sophia, Jeremy, John, and many more for reaching out in the past week. Uh, our theme song is composed by Nick Larandres. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? OverduePodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. <laughs> including you know the times when we read the novelization of con air like we did last week yeah uh patreon.com slash overdue pod is a way to support the site directly financially and uh you get access to our discord server access to bonus episodes early uh access to 
bonus streams. A couple of weeks ago, we recorded a episode about James Beard's beard on bread cookbook where we ate bread that we made on yeah. air, which I think I hope is more, <laughs> I hope is as much fun to listen to as it was to make. We had a good time making the bread and making the pot. Yes. Uh, I think that's what you're, what are you reading next week? Next week is Among Others by Joe Walton. Okay. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. And until we talk to you next time, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.